Good morning, Forest Baptist Church. It is always a privilege and an honor to be before you. And if we have any first-time visitors or guests, we just want to say thank you. We just want to love on you this day. May the Lord just speak to your heart. May you, you see Jesus more clearly, love him more dearly, and, and move upon Move upon that, those actions that he have in, in, in your life. Move upon it by telling other people about Jesus and having an impact in, in your sphere of influence. So praise God to be here this morning. If you would, turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Timothy, the third chapter. 2 Timothy is in your New Testament. And if you are here and you, you don't have a, a copy of God's Word as your very own, make sure you let us know. We'll make sure you have a Bible before you leave today. If, if you need to take the Bible that's in front of you because you don't have a Bible, period, take it. But read it. If you're going to take it, read it. But make sure that we understand just how important God's Word is to us and, and how, how, how rich it is for us. In this, in this second installation of like this little series of, of, of family matters, uh, I, I, I wanted us to consider this morning what role the Bible plays in your home. What role does the scriptures play in your home and in your life and in what you do and how you make decisions? Where, where, where do the scriptures lie? What influence, effect, or impact does the scriptures actually have on you? I want us to consider that, to, to think about that, and to be impacted by that. When we read these scriptures, we are hearing the actual voice of Jesus. So let us hear from Jesus this morning. 2 Timothy, the third chapter. We'll read the entire chapter, but we'll be focusing on the latter passages of scripture here. This is the word of God. Hear the voice of Christ. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents. i read that again. Disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janez and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also oppose the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith, but they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as with that of those two men. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and suffering. That happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and Alistra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all, the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will 
be persecuted. While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scriptures breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, complete, equipped for every good work. The Lord had a blessing to the reading of his word. Let us bow our heads for a word of prayer. Not to us, O Lord, not to us. But to your name be the glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Father, you have declared in your word that just as you give rain and snow to come down from heaven and it accomplishes what you have planned for it on the earth, So you have declared that your word will go out and will accomplish what you have purposed it to do, and it will not return empty or void. And so, Father, we are begging that by the power of your Holy Spirit, as your word goes forth, that you will accomplish your purposes in our heart right now. Father, that you will set captives free, that you will open up blind eyes and open up deaf ears and and, and stir hard hearts, that we will receive your word with joy and, and grace and excitement, knowing that you want to accomplish your work through us. So, Father, we beg. We we come as as those poor and needy. We're weak, Lord. We ask that your presence will will come and you will be in this place. Father, we ask that you will open up our minds to your scriptures because apart from you giving us insight and clarity, Lord, we, we won't understand and we won't be changed and we won't be transformed. So, Father, we call upon you in Jesus' name to do a mighty work through your word. For your word is the power unto salvation. Father, may your power me anoint me to be your mouthpiece right now. We yield to you, dear God. In Jesus' precious and holy name, we do pray. Amen. Amen. How important are last words? If you knew that you only had a few moments of breath left, and all those closest in your life were standing around you, what would you say to them? Would you give them words of encouragement and telling them how much you love and care about them? Give them affection? Would you give them words of guidance and, and direction to try to help them on in life? What would you do? Well, we know from Scripture that we have a lot of last words in Scripture. We have last words from people such as Moses, baby in a basket, 
burning bush, let my people go, Moses. We have last words. In Deuteronomy, he's telling the children of Israel at the end, right before they go in, that he has set before them life and death. He has given them the law. And if they continue in the law, they will be blessed and they will have favor. But if they reject the law, if they reject God, because understand this, when you reject this, you reject God. If they reject God, they will have chaos, calamity, and they will not be blessed. Last words. A man by the name of David gave some last words. David, yes, uh, shepherd David, lion killing David, Goliath slain David, women stealing king of Israel David. He had some last words. His last words was to his son Solomon, and he says, make, make yourself a man. Stand up and, and walk in the ways of God. Be obedient to the Lord. Last words. We have, we, we have some of the most, the most significant words in Scripture ever declared from Jesus Christ. Jesus. God become man, virgin born, sinless life, savior of the world. Some of his last recorded words were uh, in Matthew 28, Go ye therefore and make disciples of all men, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all I have commanded you. And lo, I will be with you to the end of the age. In Acts 1.8 he says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. In Jerusalem and Judea and all of Samaria to the ends of the world. Last words. So it's no surprise that when we come to this, this last will and testament of, of, of Paul written to Timothy, he is communicating this very same thing. Follow the scriptures. Be obedient to the calling with which you have been called. Obey God. It's, this is the same thing that Paul is declaring to Timothy. This is, this is no surprise. In this letter, in, in the second Timothy, what this is, this, this is Paul's last written words that we have. Because at this point, Paul is in jail for a second time in a Roman prison. But this time, he's not going to get out. He's not, he's not on house arrest with a tether on where he can just kind of dip out for the day and come back. He's in the bottom of a pit. Shackled. Dark. Dank abandoned, hopeless. No one's with him. Everyone's left him. And he's writing to Timothy, and instead of saying, Timothy, be concerned about my situation. Oh, woe is me. I wish I was out. He's not communicating his own needs. He's saying, Timothy, be faithful. Continue in what you have learned. For what you have learned, are the scriptures. What you have been familiarized with are so important that I, I have staked my life on it. And I will continue to stake my life on it. So you be faithful, Timothy. This is what he's saying. His death is, is imminent. But Paul doesn't want Timothy to wind up like, like others who have abandoned him. And have strayed away from the faith. They, they kind of drifted away. 
drifted away from Paul and they've drifted away from the message that he preaches, this gospel, this unadulterated, beautiful gospel. He wants Timothy to understand that under tremendous amounts of pressure to, to go with the currents of culture of sin and disobedience that he must stand, but the only way that he can stand is if he stays true to the word of God. Paul, being a living witness, tells Timothy that scripture is the anchor that will keep you from drifting. Scripture is the anchor that will keep you because those who have fell away, they fell away from, for, for various reasons, but it all is summed up. They fell away because they had a misdirected love. They was in love with themselves more than they were in love with God. This is what he's saying at the beginning of chapter 3. He says, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. This difficult times. They're coming. They're already here. But why are they difficult? He says they're difficult because how the people, how the folks act. They're not loving God. They're loving themselves. For people will be lovers of self. Lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Misdirected love. Narcissism, materialism, hedonism, they, they... They care about themselves more than anything else. So because of that, difficult times are coming, Timothy. I don't want you to drift away like them. But the only way that that you won't drift is if you have an anchor that will hold you. Do you have an anchor that will hold you in these difficult times, Timothy? I call this in chapter 3, these verses right here, I call this last day living. Last day living. And it's last day living because those... That is the consequences of a godless and self-centered culture. Last days. Everybody's out for self. So if, if, if Paul is saying that to Timothy, then how much is he speaking to us today? From, from birth, we, we have a natural affinity for ourselves. And we have a natural pro- proclivity to be led by our emotions and our own desires, and our own affections. That's, that's how we're made up. That's, that's that sin nature. We don't have to teach one another how to be selfish. We don't have to teach one another how to be mean. But we have to teach manners. We have to teach respect. We have to, because our sin nature will always lead us to death, to brokenness. And when we are caught adrift, we become like ships with no sails, no powers, and no anchor, and, and we're just drifting. We're living life, and we're just drifting, but just aimless. We, we don't know where we're going. We're just kind of out here. I'm going to do my thing. I'm going to hang out and just kind of see what happens, drifting aimlessly. But if, if we're not just drifting, then, then on, the, on the other side of it, 
There's the other extreme that we try to anchor ourselves to temporary things. I, we, we try to anchor ourselves to, like, jobs. Well, if I get this job, then I... We, we anchor ourselves to our education. Well, if I get this degree, then I can... Or, or we anchor ourselves to possessions or relationships. If I only had relationships, pornography, sex, drugs, we, we begin to, to, to anchor ourselves to things that are temporary because we're tired. We're tired of drifting, so we try to find something to stand on. But it's all temporary. It's all temporary. Moving targets. What Paul is saying in this text is because the pull of sin grows stronger each and every day, your soul must be anchored to Scripture in order to avoid drifting away from God. This is the only way. This is the only way. And you may be here this morning, and you're drifting away from God. You're drifting away from God. You, you have no desire to pray. have no desire to read God's word. You have no desire to really be here. You're drifting. But Jesus is throwing you a rope this morning. And he's saying, anchor your soul in my word, and you won't drift away. You won't be cast away. And the way that he does that, he shows us that from his word, what, why the scriptures are able to anchor you against this raging culture. And the reason why scriptures are able to anchor us is because the word of God is, is an anchor of salvation, an anchor of transformation, and an anchor of maturation. The word of God is an anchor of salvation, transformation, and maturation. Look here in verses 14 and 15. Paul speaking to Timothy, he, he says, but as for you, continue on what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it. And from childhood, you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. You know, I, there's one phrase as a child that you can't get over, you can't get under, you can't get around. You out there acting a fool and somebody catch you. It's not your parents, but it's somebody who knows your family. And they catch you, and they look at you, and what they say? I know your mama taught you better than that. You know better than that. Isn't that what Paul's telling Timothy? He said, I, I, I know your peeps. I know your family, your auntie, uh, uh, your, your grandmother and your mother. I, I, I know your family. And you know better than to drift away. You know better than to, to slide away like, like these other people who have abandoned me. And the reason why you know better is because you have been trained since your childhood in the scriptures. And what the scriptures have communicated to Timothy, what they have, have placed within his heart, is that they are able to make him wise for salvation. They're able to grow him up, to, to rescue him, and to save him. The scripture's primary purpose is to bring people into salvation, that they may know who Jesus is. That's the purpose of scripture, that we may know Jesus, that we may be 
saved. I'm becoming, in my studies, I'm becoming more and more convinced that one of the best evangelistic strategies is just to give someone a Bible. Have you ever tried that? We, we, we want to get sophisticated and have all these different techniques which are good, but when's the last time you just bought somebody who didn't have a Bible a Bible? Because what Paul is communicating is that the Bible by itself is so powerful, it's so spectacular, it's so wonderful that you ain't got to open your mouth. You just tell people to read. Read. Jesus all over it. Just bloody. It's dripping. Salvation all through it. Page by page, line by line. Jesus. I don't, I don't have to be smart. I don't have to have a PhD, a master's. I just say, read it. I, I, I read it. Jesus saved me. You read it too. We need to get to the point where we're understanding the power of the scriptures. You're trying to convince people that they need Jesus, and you get mad at them when they don't. But what do you have to say? What what do we really have to say? We have a message that has been given to us that we just share with others. Stop trying to convince people and show them the scriptures. Let the scriptures speak for themselves. Open up the word. Share this with people. Because when they get into the word, they will find out why it's so beautiful and why it's so powerful and why it's so sweet. Scripture is so beautiful because of the message that it contains. And it contains the message about God, the creator, the sustainer. He's perfect. He's holy. He's just. He's loving. And he's all powerful. All, he's all wise, all knowing. He's all everything. And in the beginning, he created the heavens and the earth. He has always been. He's never, he hasn't been created. He is a triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, who have been in this, 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 this loving relationship with one another since eternity past. And they didn't create us because they needed us. They created us because they wanted to share what they had going on. And as he created this, 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 this world and, and he, he painted this canvas, he began to fill it up. And the pinnacle of his creation is man. And mankind, Adam and Eve, they, they, they are placed there as his image bears for, through them. His glory will begin to shine throughout the whole world. But yet, Adam and Eve uh, wanting to be God themselves and not enjoy that relationship, decided to rebel against God's authority, bringing in sin, bringing in chaos, bringing in brokenness. A, a, a vertical brokenness with their relationship, a horizontal brokenness with one another, a brokenness with the land. Sin enters into creation. And then it communicates a message of, of God pursuing his people, sending prophets, sending messengers, sending those who are saying, turn from your sin and, and, and trust in God. And then he, he, he sends the Messiah, the promised one in Genesis that that. The, the Messiah would be the one who saves the, the people from their sins. Jesus, God, he, he, puts, he puts on humanity and he, and he steps down into his creation. And he begins to, to, to speak a message about hope and reconciliation through repentance and faith in him. 
And he begins to talk about a kingdom, a kingdom that will never be crushed, never be conquered, will always stand and will be there forever. And as Jesus is, is going and communicating this message, he's demonstrating his authority to say this message by healing people. He demonstrates his authority over sickness and disease by, by, by giving sight to the blind. He's healing lepers. He's opening ears of the deaf. He's causing people to walk. He's exercising his authority over the spiritual realm by telling me, demons, be gone. He's exercising his authority over creation by saying, peace, be still. Jesus, the Messiah, then he, he goes to Calvary's cross bearing as, as a sin bearer. Heaping uh, our sins upon him and being crushed on the cross, living the life that we can never, deliver, ne- never live and, and dying the death that we deserve. But as we heard earlier, the me- it don't stop there. Three days later, he rose from the grave with all power. He has conquered death. He has conquered the grave. And he has ascended into glory with the Father. But it don't stop there. He's coming back again to rule, to reign, to bring equality and justice and peace. And we will be ushered into a land of no more. No more crime. No more tears. No more cancer. No more colds. No more sinus infections. No more allergies. The land of no more. But it also communicates a message that when we die, if we have repented from our sins and trusted in Jesus Christ, turn from ourselves and turn towards him, then we will spend an eternity in glory, reconciled with God, enjoying him forever. The place where they say there ain't no sun because the sun is shining already. But then it also says that those who don't turn, those who live for themselves, those who reject God on this side, those who who are determined to, to make up their own rules, the Bible says that that God is going to give you exactly what you want in this life, and that is an eternity apart from him, separated from him, in hell. When people read that message, you will begin to understand the tremendous power of the scriptures. If you know scriptures, you, you, don't, you don't have to know much philosophy. You don't really, you don't have, have to know the latest apologetic. But if you know the Bible, you're able to give the, that, that message to somebody. And it, it'll produce a hope that you never thought w- w- would be there. It, it would transform people that you thought would never come to Jesus. You know those folks that you say, I, I just ain't going to waste my time. They, they eating up my time. I'm not going to tell them, but they'll never come to Jesus. How, how was it that you came then? You wasn't all that. It's a miracle that any are saved. So we give the message. We give the message, which, which means that that message needs to be communicated. It needs to be articulated. It needs to be preached. It needs to be taught. Because, the nature of, because of the nature of Scripture, the power of salvation is revealed through its declaration. What, 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 what does that mean? That means that people are only saved when the scriptures are proclaimed. What what you mean? Romans 10, 14 through 17, Paul says, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? 
And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. If you want people to be changed, we preach the message of the gospel. It is an anchor of salvation. But guess what? We not only preach this gospel to them, we need to preach this gospel to ourselves. Lest we forget, lest we forget that it wasn't by our works, it wasn't by my, 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 my lineage, it wasn't, it wasn't because God knew I would be a good person, it, it was by grace alone, through faith alone. And when I understand that I, I had nothing to do with my salvation in the first place, then I know I can't keep it myself, and I know that I can't work for it, but I know I have to be dependent on the one who gave it to me in the first place. So this salvation is a salvation that saves, but it's a salvation that keeps. The word of God will keep you. The word of God will regulate your mind. It will keep you. Salvation, salvation. The people of God, we have a a responsibility to share this gospel, but then we have a responsibility to read this gospel ourselves. Scripture is an anchor of salvation. But not only is the word of God an anchor of salvation, but scripture is also an anchor of transformation. Look here at verses, verse 16. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Training in righteousness. Have you ever been in a situation where you're working, but you're not quite clear of what what the expectations are. Have you you ever taken a job and they're like, okay, well, do this. And like the supervisor like leaves. Like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Who's supposed to help me? It's situations like that that it causes even more confusion because you don't know what you're supposed to do. You don't know what the expectations are. And for a lot of us, if, if, if we felt that we had real clear guidance, that we would do better on the job or wherever. But you know what? That's not true about God. Because when I look at the text right here, it says God is clearly communicating his expectations. How do I know? Because it says all scripture is breathed out by God. God has communicated to us what he expects of us. He has communicated to us what he wants from us, his his desires for us, how he pursues us. He is communicating these things to us. So because they're coming from him, we know they're authoritative. God himself is giving us his word. We speak to God primarily through prayer. God speaks to us primarily through his word. So unless we're reading God's word, guess what we're not hearing? We're not hearing the voice of God. He's declaring. This, and this inspiration, uh, there are those who will say, well, you know, Scripture, that, that's just written by man. Man wrote the Bible. Man, oh, man wrote the Bible, okay. Man wrote the Bible. Well, you know, that's not, that, that's not, that's not a new, a new uh, 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 critique. 
That's not, that's not a new question. And praise God that he has spoken to it already. And what has he said? In 2 Peter, the first chapter, verse 16, he says, this is Peter speaking. He says, for we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory. So they saw Jesus and they heard God. Eyewitnesses. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the mountains. And we have something more sure. So we have something more sure than an eyewitness testimony. What is more sure than an eyewitness testimony? The prophetic word. To which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning stars rise, rises in your heart. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. God used man to pen his word. We have the very words of God with us. And because these are the very words of God, this is our authoritative source of truth. How do we define truth? What's your truth? What do you know to be true and what's not true? Praise God for children. My children playing on the block with other children, they get into those children conversations. But this one was a little different. My son came home and he, and he told me about the conversation. And the conversation was this. The conversation was, who was the first person on earth? And he said, well, the Bible says Adam and Eve was the first people on earth. The children he was playing with said, no, it wasn't. And in order to give him an answer, they picked up, they picked up their phone. They said, okay, Google, who was the first person on earth? And the internet said Leah. And he said, no, Leah was the first person on earth. And my son said, no, Leah was not the first person on earth. The Bible says that Adam and Eve was the first person on earth. No, it's not. It's Leah. Watch. Watch. Google. Who was the first person on earth? Leah. See? When he was telling me that story, it was a God moment. It was one of those moments that defines our family. I said, well, Nate, where did he get his truth from? He said, the internet. I said, well, Nate, everybody knows you can't believe everything that's on the internet. But you can't believe what's in scripture. As for this family, our source of truth will be the scriptures. That's it, that's it. Because God has spoke them and communicated them in such a way. We know them to be real. We know them to be true. And we know these, these things uh, have taken an effect on our lives. Where is your source of truth? Where is your word of direction? All scripture is breathed out by God. See, that's, tra that's transformative. Because it transforms you. If I believe that scripture is from God, then I can't be God over my own life. That, that's a game changer. 
I can't do what I want to do. I can't go where I want to go. I can't say what I want to say. I can't act how I want to act. I, I, can't, I can't do me. No. Because scripture has communicated that, therefore, anyone in Christ is a new creature. That's a game changer. But not only does it transform my sense of authority, it, he, he goes through and he lays out, it's, it's, it's good, it's profitable, it's beneficial for teaching a foundational understanding of what you believe, your, your core doctrines, for reproof. What is reproof? Reproof is going, hey, stop. Reproof is a warning. You shouldn't be doing that. For correction. You're going this way. You need to go that way. For instruction in righteousness. Uh, how do I know how to live a right and good life? See, but all of those things imply that I don't know what I'm doing in the first place. And I need a teacher. Ha. Ah. That's transformative. Because now you have to come to Jesus with a posture of humility. I, Jesus, well, I've been reading your word, and I guess it says I, I ain't all that. I've been reading your word, and it says I'm a sinner uh, in thought and in deed. I, I, I've been reading your word, and it says that I, I, I need someone to save me from my sins. I, I, I've been reading your word, and it's telling me that I, I, I need to be transformed, not from the outside in, but from the inside out. And hey, I'm reading your word, and it says I, I just can't just be religious and have a relationship with you. I, I've been reading your word, and it says that I'm not supposed to impact those around me. I, I've been reading your word. What impact? Does the scriptures have on your life? What bearing? Does the scriptures actually change you? Move you? Or you come to scriptures and you say, well, I'm just going to do what I want to do. You're not being transformed. You're drifting. You're drifting. We need scriptures because everybody has blind spots. There's, look, I, I, don't, care, I, I don't care how sweet you think you is. I, I, if you think you ain't sinned since 1924, but you have blind spots. You have areas of your life that you just don't see. Like, like, like when you're talking to somebody and you got a booger in your nose, see, but you don't know you got a booger in your nose until you go to the mirror and, you, and you're like, why didn't they tell me I got a booger in my nose? And it, it's like one of those situations. You got a booger in your nose and you don't see it. But the scripture acts as a mirror to show you yourself, to get that ugliness out of there, to clean yourself up, to be transformed and be made new. The scriptures are a mirror that shows you how foolish, how trifling, how wicked, how foul that we really are. It's transformative. That's why it holds on to you. He's doing something with you. He's shaping you and forming you. Our sin. We, we, we have a perspective of sin. I, I love this analogy. Talking with my father. Great analogy. Talking about sin. And we think sin is more like a, like a parking ticket. Like I was speeding. Jesus called me and gave me a ticket. Okay. I pay it. I go to church next week. Okay, I paid it. But... 
when you think about your sin, like, like, your lie, like when you lie, your lie is like a tsunami. Your lie is like an earthquake. Your lie is like a hurricane or tornado. Have, have, you, have you seen the pictures of the aftermath of a tsunami? Have you seen the aftermath of an earthquake that went in Nepal? It's chaos. It's confusion. It's, it's mud. It's bodies. It's bricks. It's wood. It's rats. It's, it's, it's all kind of disease-ridden water. And, and that's the aftermath of a tsunami. See, that's the picture we need to have when we think about our sinfulness. When you come through sin, it's like an earthquake just came. You're not only destroying your own life, you're destroying the lives of people all around you. Because sin doesn't just stick to yourself. Sin is pervasive. It moves about the culture. It affects entire families. It breaks us. We need a proper perspective of our sinfulness. Because when we have a proper perspective of our sinfulness, then we will see just how amazing God is. So if I'm like, Scripture's boring, well, I really don't have time, I'm too busy, you're too busy not to read Scripture. You're too busy not to pray. I have a note card on my desk. Paul Tripp, in one of his books, had this quote, Deconstruction plus reconstruction equals change. Well, well, what does that mean? That means before I can be changed, I need to be broke down. Before your situation can change, you need to be broke down. What do I mean? You need to come to the end of yourself. You need to see how disgusting sin is. You need to see how, how much you need Jesus You have to be so broken that all you can say is, woe is me, a sinner. Have mercy on me. That's all we can do. We have to be broken, and that's what the word of God does. He says it's living, it's active, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword, able to pierce between the joint and the marrow. It gets inside of you. It, It cuts you. It does surgery on you. But we know that he's not trying to kill you. He's trying to cut out the cancer. He's trying to cut out the disease. He's trying to cut it out in order so he can reconstruct you into the image of Jesus Christ. Isn't that what scripture says? We are being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. But we have to be broke down. And the only way that happens is you you have to to get into your scriptures. The word of God is anchor of salvation. The word of God is anchor of transformation. But lastly, the word of God is the anchor of maturation. Maturation. Verse 17. That the man of God may be competent, complete, equipped for every good work. My primary responsibility as a father is to prepare my children to launch into life. And the way that I do that is I have to take time to train them in certain things to give them the necessary skills and ability in order to launch out into life. But their ability to launch really 
uh, has a lot to do with how I have prepared them. And I want them to launch well. So I have a responsibility to train them, to grow them up, to make them mature, to teach them how to tie their shoes, to, to take out the trash, to, to do house chores, to, to cook, to clean. I have to prepare them for life on their own. Maturity, that maturation process, this is the same message that Paul is saying to Timothy. Scripture has the power to grow you up in order that you will launch into life. What does the scripture say in 1 Peter, the second chapter, the second verse, it says, Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. Again, grow up what into what? Salvation. You, that, that's reading scripture, applying your life to scripture, grows you up. It matures you. And what's implied here is that we, we need to be mature. Because the scripture, it makes the man of God complete. That means we're, apart from scripture, we're incomplete. With scripture, we become complete. So if I'm living a life apart from the scriptures, guess what I am? I'm incomplete. I need to grow up. And to the word, I need to grow up to understand responsibility, maturity. In the first chapter, Paul is talking to Timothy, and he talks about youthful passions. What are you talking about? Youthful passions. Talk about foolishness. Foolishness. Those silly, stupid things that we, we, we know we ain't supposed to do, but we're still doing it, and we love it. He wants to grow us up from that. But once the spear brings new life, scripture will launch you into action for Jesus. Because when, this, this word right here, when it says complete, it, it, it means completely qualified. It means able to do what they are supposed to be doing. That, they, that, that a person might fulfill their destined purpose. What does that mean? God has a purpose for all of his children. Ephesians 2 and 10 says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works. Where? Why? Which God prepared for beforehand for what? That we may walk in them. God has created you for impact. But you can't carry out that impact until you grow up. That's what the Christian life is. He, he's created us to impact the culture, to impact, impact the watching world, to impact our families and our friends. But we have to grow up in order to have impact. And the way that we grow up is through the scriptures. He's launching us. God did not just save you and create you for yourself so you can have a, a me and Jesus type relationship. He's created you so that once Jesus is living in you, now Jesus can, can be with you as you go out and impact this world for Christ. This is not a life on the sidelines. This is a life of impact. Scripture is an anchor of maturation. So what? So now what? Apart from the truth of Scripture, you will find yourself drifting away from God. Why will I find myself drifting away from God? Last week we talked about John 1. And in John 1 it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In John 1 and 14 it says, and the Word, of God, and the word became flesh and dwelt among men. 
So what Paul is communicating, you put these, no, what, what, what the apostle John and Paul are communicating is the same thing. You need scripture to be your anchor. Jesus is scripture. You need Jesus to be your anchor to hold on to you. Jesus is the word. So when you are filling yourself up with the word, you begin to fill yourself up with Jesus. See, y'all not getting that. The implications of that. This is a reality. If I want Jesus' presence in my life and in my situation, I need to fill up on the word because when I fill up on the word, Jesus is present. And not only does he, he become present, but the power that Jesus has comes with him. When Jesus comes and speaks over your situation, there's power, there's transformation. We need Jesus to speak over our situations, to speak into our lives, to bring deliverance, to bring uh, uh, a, a joy and a hope for him. But a rejection of scripture is a rejection of Jesus. We must surrender ourselves to scriptures or we will drift into the last days. Last day living. The scripture is an anchor of salvation, transformation, and maturation. You show me someone who is consistent in reading the scriptures. I'll show you someone who is near to the heart of God. And we cannot know the heart of God apart from listening to him through his word. Let me wrap this up with this. The psalmist in Psalm 19 says this. He's talking about the scriptures. He uses different words to point out scripture. Psalm 19, beginning with verse 7, he says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warm, and keeping them there is great reward. You know, you may have asked yourself, why do I, why do I need to read this Bible? Why do I even need to get in my word? Scripture revives the soul. You ever needed it? Anyone ever needed their soul revived? It rejoices the heart. You ever been depressed? Just in despair? Needed a word? He says the, the commandment of the Lord is pure, it's clean. It's not going to mess you up. It endures forever. It's righteous altogether. And it's all about how, just how sweet the word of God is. What do we do then? We beg, we cry out for the grace of God to give me an appetite for your word. Jesus, give, give me an appetite for your word. I know the power in them. I know what they can do. Please give me an appetite so that I will receive salvation, so that I will receive transformation, and that I will receive maturation because of the power of your word. Only you can do it. Only you can do it, Lord. That needs to be 
all of our prayers today. Lord, give me a thirst and a hunger for your word, and thereby fill me with the living water, Jesus Christ. Let us pray.